0: This is episode 225 of the Beyond the Food Show and today we're going to talk about how our nervous system plays a role in our relationship to food and our body and also the traumatic impact of dieting on our body and nervous system with our guest, Irene Lyon. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going to Beyond the Food show. I'm Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist and emotional eating expert, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food method and founder of the Going to Beyond the Food Academy. Corporate executive turned health expert with my own journey with weight, body image and food. It's now my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently right now and unconditionally. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Hello, sisters. Welcome back. Stephanie Dozia here, your host. And I just want to give you a quick note. If you're listening to this live, so if it's around January 30th, 2020, there's a lot of excitement in my world and the Going to Beyond the Food world. We are one week away from starting with our new group in the Going to Beyond the Food Academy. Yay! We've made a lot of improvement to the academy, we've added a bunch of courses, which is now make this journey of transformation in our relationship to food and body six month long. So I'm very excited to start February 7 with this new group and seeing the women shedding the shackle of diet culture and expanding their own personal power, reclaiming what we as women are designed to be, which is extremely powerful human being, by putting food and body image back where they belong. So if you're wanting to join us, which is going to be the only time in 2020, go ahead and head to the show notes or to our website and then... Register for the Academy. Now, today's subject is going to be a very important topic for all of us. There's something in science right now that's becoming more and more evident, which is the role that our nervous system is playing in our habits, in our choices, in the way we behave, the struggle that we have, the wins that we have, and that this belief that we have that we can overrule everything we do out of willpower is really come crashing down right now. And that's because that's the rise of the deepest level of research when it comes to behavior, which is the research around neuroscience and the nervous system. And that's what we're going to talk about today and how that research is playing into what we are concerned with here, which is our relationship to food and body image and the struggle associated with dieting. And I'm going to share some very personal information here. And it may be triggering for some of you that are at the beginning of your journey, but I think it's a good trigger. I think it's a trigger where it's going to push you in looking deeper into your current struggle with food and body, and asking yourself the questions that are really gonna bring forth your own healing. And I share this level of very personal information because I've done my work, right? And I've done my work around my own story, how it impacted my life, how it created what I have currently in my own life. And I've done this work with, in part, my guests on the podcast today, Irene Lyons. She is my mentor in the world of trauma and in the world of nervous system. Our program, that it is the Intuitive Eating Project or the Going to Beyond the Food Academy is what we call a trauma informed program because of the teaching and the learning that me as the leader of this community have been doing with Irene. And personally, the healing that I have experienced with her work. So let me give you a little bit of background here where we're going to go with this. For 25 years, I was stuck in fear mode when it came to food. Just like you, I was obsessed, I was controlling my eating and I thought that was the only way I could control my body. I was constantly in high alert when it came to food and how my body appeared to others. And the side effect of that is that over time, unconsciously, I disconnected myself from my body. And I did that in what I now understand to be an attempt to self-protect. And I also numbed myself with food and other substances and other action because I didn't want to feel the depth of my pain, of my emotion, of the shame, the guilt, the fear, the anxiety that was constantly being triggered by what I now know to be diet culture. If you look up PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you will find much similarity between this official diagnosis and the side effect of my 25-year chronic dieting career. This is how a very few number of health experts are describing what has happened to me and likely many of you as now PTDD, post-traumatic dieting disorder. This term PTDD was first brought forward by Dr. Yoni Friedhoff, which coined the term in an article that he published in the Globe and Mail, which is a newspaper in Canada. And I've linked to this article in the show note. And I'm just going to give you a quote of this article. Dieting is predicated on suffering and humans aren't built to suffer in perpetuity. Why? despite knowing better, do we blame ourselves when the nonsense of diet fail? Could it be a case of suffering from post-traumatic dieting disorder? Because really, what are modern-day diet if not traumas? The current restrictive eating may indeed feel traumatic and recovering from dieting, not just the emotional eating or the binge eating, but the entirety of recovering from diet culture may have lingering traumatic effect. Combine that with the shame carried by the poor body image and weight stigma, both internalized and externalized, that is felt in the depth of our nervous system is in fact perceived by our body as a trauma. The violation of our innate sense of word is trauma to our nervous system and body. Now, PTD, post-traumatic dieting disorder, is not a formal diagnosis, rather, a collection of symptoms. I believe just like Dr. Yoni Friedhoff, that this diagnosis is to come forward perhaps in 20 years from now. At this point in time, in 2020, the medical establishment still believe in the due value of dieting and weight loss, even though science is clear that dieting have a 95% failure rate. Until our current medical establishment can see through the fear of being fat or weight stigma, and actually look at the statistic of dieting for what it is, we will not see a diagnosis of post-traumatic dieting disorder. This, ladies or sisters, is about 20 years away from us. So on today's episode, I wanted to bring my mentor in the field of nervous system and trauma. As many of you know, I have done a lot of work through my own journey and in the field of self-education so I can bring that forth into my work, into my program for you. And one of the many things that I've studied is the nervous system. And I did that with Irene Lyon and I've taken all of her program and I'm going to talk about one of them in the interview today that I would highly recommend. For any health professional listening today, and I know that's about 40% of you, really consider adding nervous system training to your practice and for the lay women that are here for their own personal journey, if you do have what we call high-level trauma into your life, past incident that you have yet to been able to come to term with, the training from Irene will be likely life-changing for you. So Irene Lyon is a trained nervous system expert, and she teaches about the nervous system and trauma for people around the world with the intention of them healing what they are currently struggling with because the information that's being out there right now is not solving their real root cause problem which is in the nervous system. So in today's episode we are going to start at a high point. We're going to talk about what trauma is and what it's not. How we relate to food and body and how each other impact our nervous system or our relationship to food. We're going to also talk about generational dieting. We're going to talk about the concept of post traumatic dieting disorder and how to heal trauma. If you would like to take the next step or at least get more information on Irene's work, I've put a link in the show notes. She has currently a four part in-depth video training on the nervous system, and you have to go and register to get it. It's totally free, stephaniedolde.com slash trauma. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Welcome back to the show, Irene. Hey, thanks, Stephanie. It is the third time you are officially the one that has been on the podcast the most (gasps) often.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: (laughs) I was actually looking, so I'll link to the show and the show note, but we did a first healing trauma, and then we did adrenal fatigue and trauma, which is one of the top downloaded podcasts. Yep. And then today, this is funny, because you are following my evolution as I my own field as I change and I evolve. Yep. The discussion changes.
1: Of course, it does.
0: And I've taken your program. It's going to be two years actually. I didn't realize yeah. that. It's been two years. It's just time is like a jet. Yes. It's going fast. <laughs> and we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. it's, yeah. it's round eight or nine now. Of- nine. It's the ninth time we've run it. Smart body, smart mind. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yes. As, you know. Yet we haven't aged a bit, right? So- yeah. <laughs> None at all. No, not at all. And that changed. So the work that I've done with you and the studying that I've done with you has changed my perspective on the field of nutrition and health. And that's the discussion I want to have today because the idea of the podcast started with the term post-traumatic dieting disorder. And I know you've not heard of this yet. Like I just threw that at you today. Like, huh? what is that?
1: It makes sense to me though. Yes. Yeah, post traumatic dieting disorder.
0: Yes. And basically, it's it's an article that came out by Dr. Yoni Friedhoff. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. Though I don't think it's a great article in the context of understanding dieting. But what he recognizes the trauma piece Mm -hmm. that chronic dieter show post dieting and attempting to stop dieting.
1: Uh,
0: So what if we start with a quick definition of trauma in the general term? Yeah. And then we can start diving into dieting, diet culture, body shaming, and weight stigma after.
1: Yeah. So this is a great question. What is trauma? Because there are many definitions and all of them are true. So most of the time when someone hears trauma, they think accident or they associate it with an ambulance or an, you know, the trauma surgeon, you know, we, people that watch ER and, and shows like that, like it's, it's the trauma pit, you know, and that's where you're getting your traumas fixed really quickly. And so those are technically traumatic events and there's trauma surgery and trauma surgeons. And that's like acute, it's what, what's happening right then and there. What my field looks at, and that's the field that we call actually the new traumatology, I don't use that term very often, because if you don't know what it means, there's no point in using it. But we in the somatic experiencing world, which is the field of Peter Levine, which I've come from, and some of the other predecessors from him, and also his peers, who are a lot of these people are in their 80s, 70s, They call it the new traumatology because we're looking at psychiatric illness, mental illness, chronic illness, attachment disorders, addiction, in terms of how the traumas that a person had way back when, how they are impacting the physiology of the human being in their current state not what occurred 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And I'm actually thinking about a client who went through Smart Body, Smart Mind and he's done some of my workshops and he's an older gentleman, fit and well, and had a lot of early trauma and just all these symptoms and problems. And he didn't have an eating disorder per se, but to me, they're all within the same umbrella and that he had a lot of mental issues, a lot of low self-esteem. And the doctors were like, oh, this happened so long ago, you were in utero. Like there's no way that that's impacting you now. And now we know, and I know you know this, but to tell your listeners, that's not true. That's actually very false. And everything that occurs to whether we call it a fetus or a child, and even the energetic imprint that's put into that soul, that energetic, that cellular being, and then the first three years of life and childhood all of it impacts our nervous systems and not just the nervous systems but our organs and our tissues and how we react and respond to the environment and so this new traumatology is the acceptance of that that time doesn't heal all wounds it gets stuck in the nervous system in the tissues and all these experiences that we have that occur to us that are scary And bad and unsafe and put us into a state of threat they stay with us they don't heal with time and they impact not just the psyche but the physiology and our behavior i say the word behavior very diligently because that falls in with addiction eating disorders ocd risky behaviors self-sabotage. I mean, there's just so many things. So trauma by definition in my world is nervous system dysregulation, which then forms the root of what causes all of these harmful, unhelpful behaviors and chronic illnesses. Some people can have amazing behavior. I mean, you probably know lots of folks. I know lots of folks, they really eat well, they take care of their bodies, they sleep, they have healthy relationships, and yet their systems are sick with fibromyalgia and autoimmune conditions. And then it just doesn't make sense because all the behaviors are in place, but there's something underlying that's running the front of the bus, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So to go back, trauma is, is something in my field that is held in the nervous system that then impacts all of the systems and how we relate to the environment and others. And it also can be seen as a trauma that you get in an accident. So it's a matter of semantics, but that's how we would define it.
0: One of the quote that I took away from studying with you that I keep repeating all the time Uh is trauma is not in the event, but in the nervous system. You got it. And that's what really opened my eyes. Because as I was studying with you, I was working with Women and and yeah. it really opened my eyes to see how the event of dieting over a long period of time yeah. created trauma, yeah, and impeded, if not addressed properly, mm-hmm. the ability for the individual to come back to a more innate way of eating what we call intuitive eating right responding yeah. to hunger fullness and satisfaction yeah, cue. yeah. so i've been asking around and, and reading but there's very little on this aspect of trauma and how it affects us and that's what i'd like to discuss at first specifically with this new term that's being thrown around td yeah. but how do you view that from your lens like the chronic dieting versus trauma There's a lot of
1: pieces to that. So in a utopic world where we were all, so I'm going to layer this answer and I'm going to pull us back to like, look at the bigger macro picture in the wild animals are born. They're raised by their mothers primarily actually always. And they're nurtured. They're kept safe. They're fed. And when they're not hungry anymore, they stop. There's no excess, it's it's very much by the biology. And all animals, unless the mother is unwell, this can be seen in domestic animals, like house pets, where they don't know how to take care of their young. But usually that doesn't happen. And I know that because my parents were both veterinarians growing up, and I witnessed so many cats and dogs, even if they were given a cesarean section, they know what to do, like they're instantly licking and you know, nurturing and if if a stranger comes up to them, they like hiss or bark, like get away from my babies. So that is what we want. And there was even research done in Toronto, I think with Michael Meany who studied rap, rat pups and saw the difference between those rat pups who grew up, who had lots of licking and lots of cuz licking is a sign of care in animals versus those that didn't and i can't remember how he deprived them of that but they did and the ones that didn't get the licking had higher levels of cortisol they were more stressed they had what we would consider ptsd and then that got then they of course had those rat pups have more rat pups and then we saw Even if those rat pups had licking from the non-licking rat pup mom, like it's this long story, they would carry that genetic imprint. So it's fascinating research and it really put on the scientific mark the importance of nurture and care of our young. Humans aren't like that all the time. And so the moment we have a mother who wasn't cared by her mother, who wasn't cared by her mother, and it's just generational, and then she doesn't know how to attach and nurture that little one is basically being told, I don't, and I'm being very kind of general here. I'm not here for you. You're not important to me. You got to do this all yourself and I'm not going to teach you how to self soothe. You do it yourself. Like that's a very simple way of saying you're out there on your own and, you know, figure it out. And the people that I've worked with who have addiction and eating troubles and, and self-harm and, but even ADD and chronic illness, to me, it all falls under the same map. They are desperately seeking soothing, right? They're desperately seeking self-regulation and because they weren't taught it inherently through modeling with, our version of licking, which is, you know, holding and attuning to the baby, the human baby, when they're hungry, feeding them when they're hungry, when they have finished knowing they're finished, especially if you're bottle feeding, there's nothing wrong with bottle feeding, by the way, as long as the mother or caregiver is attuned to when they've had enough, but we all force, it's like, you've got to finish your whole bottle. Or I had one friend who she had this big baby boy, and she followed like you give one bottle and he was grumpy and not well and so she went to the pediatrician and the pediatrician's like he needs more and she's like what more you know and so she did she gave him two bottles when he was hungry and he was he's not like happy right but so that's like an extreme side of that the spectrum so you know this all starts so young miss attunements with our needs and the, one of the bigger needs is food. One of the other needs is temperature regulation, right? A lot of babies that I see, they're screaming and they're tantruming, not because they're trying to be difficult. They're either too hot or they're too cold, you know? And so at that age, not only can we not take our own sweater off, we also can't put it on and we can't, can't tell our mom, mom, I'm hot. You just took me into Walmart and I'm bundled up for winter and you haven't taken anything off screw you. I'm going to start crying. So the, the food thing is, it's really interesting when you look at those kids in department stores, like I just want to go up to them and take their clothes off. <laughs> it's like we have our coats off maybe, you know, and they can't regulate temperature as well. Yeah. And so at that age we're very tuned when we are hungry and when we are not hungry, that is the beginning. And in the way that most of us have been brought up post baby boom, With plentiful food and all these things, our cues have been so screwed up. And it is something that for many of us is unconscious. And it isn't because, you know, we're trying to fix something necessarily. It's just our impulse, our hunger impulses have been really messed with. And that whole thing of, you know, on the savanna, you eat when you find the next kill. You drink water when you get to the lake or the stream. You know, you really go by that. And that's your job, actually, in some strange way. And yet in the savanna, you don't have animals that have weight problems. You know, you you do have that in domestic animals. The amount of times my dad had to tell his clients that they had to put their dog or a cat on a diet. And, you know, it's because they're not out running. They're not. These things are trapped inside. And if we think about us as humans... I mean, here we are, we're trapped inside Mm -hmm. by volition and we can go out. But so there's all these layers.
0: Yeah. So. I have many things I want to add, but let's start with generational trauma around dieting, because again, no study on that. This is just clinical observation from my own program. Yeah. When I asked my clients who's had had a mom who was dieting, because we're now into this we, the generation where our mom in the 70s were on the low calories and yeah. the, the twiggy type of model yeah. wanted to have a yeah. look. Well, the vast majority, I think it was 85% of my clients have had a mother who was yeah. chronically dieting, bringing them yeah. up. Yeah. And when we chronic diet, we're outside of our body. We're not yeah. embodied. We're not attuned to our own signal. So how can we teach that? We can't.
1: We can't. It's as simple as that. And I would say that, yes, I can verify that with people that I've worked with where, and these are women that I have seen that are not by any means by the standards of society needing to go on a diet, Mm -hmm. but they watched their mothers do it and they watched their mothers be so diligent with food. And this is where it isn't even about the weight issue. It's about overly protective of health. I've actually seen it swing the other way where I have girlfriends who had this happen where their parents were so strict about healthy eating. It's always that it's very rarely the other side. I've seen a little bit of the other side, but so strict with healthy eating, they were never allowed to have, you know, a baked good, a pop tart, you know, a can of Coke. I'm not saying that we should be eating those every day. And we know that's not, but We've invented this stuff. And if you deprive it of a child to the point where it's almost like this punishment, right? I'm kind of using that metaphorically. That kid, when it has its pocket money and it makes its first money, they are going to go down to the corner store and binge or eat something out of defiance. It's not because they want it.
0: It's rebellious. We call that rebellious eating.
1: Yeah. And that's actually a healthy part of adult growth, but the rebellion needs to be healthy for the kid also, right? Rebellion might be saying, I'm going to go here, but really going somewhere else, but still staying safe, right? So I've watched people who have been rebellious in a safe way, but then rebellious in a really unsafe way. And usually it's because that that primary relationship was toxic and they don't know what safe and unsafe is. So it starts really young. I've seen it start with very strict guidelines. And sure enough, I've worked with people and I have friends who are like, yeah, we weren't allowed to eat any sugar. And now all I ever want to eat is sugar. There's no impulse control, right? And so it's very fascinating to me. And I've also seen, you know, even if the mother isn't instilling that diet on her child, And usually it's females. It's interesting how males, not that males don't have trouble with this, but there is this stigma where the girl has to have the good figure and all that kind of thing. Yeah, we'll talk about that. That's a huge contributor. It's huge. And so even if she's doing it for herself, the mom, the child will see. They will see everything. It's like when you have a toddler that hears you say a bad word while you're talking to your – you're not even in in a heated emotion, but just, oh – F this F that. Oh, I can't believe they F and did that. And the kid will hear it and they'll just repeat it. Not because they know it's a bad word. This is very important. Actually. They just hear the word just like if we use the word cup or tea or iPhone or hair, or I'm going to go to the supermarket. They just start modeling all these things. And so when we're doing this energetic strain around portioning and, depriving and feeling shame and even the little conversations, oh, we can't eat that, John, that's not healthy. Like at the dinner table, the little people will feel that and they'll they'll be like, oh, oh, that's how we're supposed to do it because they actually don't know any other way. So they'll see what we do and they'll model it and then this is how this gets passed on. It's not because they're consciously trying to diet or copy, we are always unconsciously copying, so that we figure out how to live in the world.
0: And we one of the thing that I learned with you is how when we're born, our nervous system is not fully developed as a human. And I think it's up to the age of mid teens, where we continuously develop the nervous system. So our yeah. eating cues, like if you if you look at the anatomy of eating cue, it's in our nervous yeah. system, right? That's where mm-hmm. the sensation in the body are perceived. So if that little nervous system is not fully developed, and we interrupt yeah. intuitive eating, the natural state of eating, then we will develop a way of eating with our nervous system that is dieting and the yeah. deprivation base. Definitely, and it's it, the thing that's so weird about this whole
1: industry is that. It's quite simple. Eat when you're hungry. Stop eating when you are satisfied. Yes. Same with hydration. You know, when you're thirsty, drink. It's so simple. And I go back to the animals in the wild, right? They were given a slate of simplicity because there's no culture. There's no religion. There's no politics. They're fending for themselves. There's nothing man-made. They're pure biology, So part of healing these early things, I don't even say traumas often because there wasn't an insult to the child directly, Mm -hmm. right? It was a modeling of behavior that was off. We can't even say that it was bad because when you've been brought up in that for so long, you just know that is how it is, right? It's like you always have to have... (laughs) So interesting. Like in Europe, salad is always eating at the end of the meal. And in America, it's eating at at the beginning of the meal. You know, the cheese course comes after the dessert, not at the beginning with the charcuterie. Like it's just, it's so interesting that we have these different cultures of eating. And so because of that, it gets confusing. And yet, in certain cultures where there's a lot more secure attachment with the babies, you don't see this kind of food trouble. No. Like I see that and my mother's from the Philippines and I, I see that in the in the villages, not in the city. You go to the city, it's like America. But when you're in the villages, you have your meal, you sit, you when you're hungry or when you're full, you stop, you get up, you walk away. You know, you don't keep eating because there's still food. And then that food stays there for lunch. And if you don't eat the food at lunch, what isn't eaten is eaten at dinner and it just keeps recycling it isn't you yeah
0: you know so that's it's interesting how what we think we're doing with nutrition by imposing all the rules Mm -hmm. is actually what is making us sick yes and in a way so what you do you you and your world you help people heal trauma as a a general notion the process of when I say to people, you have to relearn to eat intuitively or naturally is because in most cases, we haven't had this early childhood embedding in our nervous system. Like it's, it's not there. So we have to learn it as an adult. Definitely.
1: I use the analogy I give that I love is it's like learning a a second language as an adult and learning that second language fluently, which is not easy right? And so if you think about a child who's brought up learning, say, I learned English as my first language, you hear it all the time. You're seeing it in words and you're seeing text, even though you don't know what it is and you're learning that. And then you get, it gets more complex. You know, you go to school, you learn, you then talk to people who aren't your parents and they talk differently. So you have to hear it differently and you have to attune differently. But if you were to learn a second language as an adult, you're basically starting from scratch And you've got to start with the basics, you know, how to see words, how to hear words, simple words, and then more complex sentences. And but then like you can you can speak and pronounce all you want with your phone app. But if you then go into the middle of, I think about, I've been trying to learn some German, which is not working so well. But you know, you go somewhere and then all of a sudden you see how the, the letters are and you're like, oh my God, I don't know how that works. Right? And so for me, the nervous system is similar. And so if we didn't have that solid, secure base, that attachment where our parental structures and caregivers were allowing us to follow our impulses we're teaching us right from wrong, all these things, we're not going to know what to do. And so people tend to, and so this is, I look at the dieting world, that's like me learning German and going into the middle of small village Bavaria where no one speaks English and trying to figure out how to find a hotel and order my food it isn't gonna work because I have no base. So when we try to put a behavior, which is a diet, a specific behavior onto us to change, it's always usually because of the weight, it's very rarely because of health, unless you have a real big health scare, you're screwed because you can try to, to do it behavior based, but you, it's not inherent in your cells. And so one of the most um, common things, and you've learned this and I teach this to my students, is following their impulses. Mm. And, And that is, I always make the joke, it isn't to eat all the cookies in the cookie jar. It's to feel like the pressure in your bladder when it's filled with urine, to feel the pressure in your rectum when you have to have a bowel movement, when your mouth is thirsty, dry to take that drink of water, when you're tired to pause and stop. When you want to say to someone something and you you say it rather than holding it back in, if you have a tear come out at the movie, let it come out rather than trying to hide it, you know, sneezing without h- holding it in, yawning and not saying excuse. Like there's all these ways that we can start to reignite that biological impulse, not biological impulse, but listening to it as a baseline before we do the fancy stuff that would be dropping someone into the middle of Bavaria to try yeah. to learn something,
0: right? And the other thing that I learn is bringing safety. So when we try to, for example, if the fear is on the cookie, right, sugar is the big trauma, like people are afraid of sugar. Yeah. But when we relearn intuitive eating and approach the cookie, it's also about bringing safety back to that relationship to the cookie, AKA Mm -hmm. the nervous system. So we can have a normalized relationship to the cookie long term. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did I, did I learn well?
1: Yeah, that's great. It's like a book title there somewhere. Improve your relationship with the cookie.
0: (laughs) But, but for women who've been depriving cookies for 10 years, They go through the binge, they'll binge on cookie, they'll restrict it, binge, restrict, they swing the pendulum forever. And the only way to get to the middle is safety.
1: Exactly. And here's the interesting thing. If we go back to that early, early upbringing, early trauma, where there isn't safety and parents are clueless, or maybe the parents are unwell, or maybe the parents are working five jobs, and they're just not able to, there's so many reasons, the overall arching theme that that somatic nervous system gets cuz you've got to understand when you're in utero and when you're those first 2 years of life you don't understand language like it's all somatic it's all body and so the the overarching message is it's not safe and there's nobody here for me and so part of the food response when we eat it stimulates a part of our nervous system that is directly connected to our heart pacemaker. So when we when we chew and when we swallow, we're stimulating our senses and we're stimulating a portion of our nervous system called the ventral vagal of the parasympathetic. That has a direct branch to our, it's called the S-A node in the heart to bring it down. That's why when you have, to go back to the trauma surgeons, if you have a really good nurse or trauma surgeon and you've just had an accident, You calm down if they're nice and if they speak slowly and they're not condescending and they're not blaming you because you just, you know, were the reason for the accident. Like the moment that you have that that facial calming you hear, it brings us down. So food is a very strong draw to many people because it stimulates something that they didn't get baked into their nervous system through the healthy attunement. If a child, every time it's unwell or or fussing, is given a snack or is given a soother till they're like five years old, I don't understand that. I'll see some kids that are five with soothers in their mouth, but that is calming them, right? The sucking of the thumb. And here's the interesting thing. If that little one didn't get the solid upbringing, then they probably should be sucking their thumb because if they don't, they're going to be ramping up or shutting down. So it's, this is so not cut and dry, but that eating that mastication, that swallowing it is, it is a soothing response, but that shouldn't be what soothes us. Food is for sustenance. It's for vitamins and minerals and hydration so that we don't die. And as simple as that is, it's kind of a message that I think in the dieting world never actually gets out. It's all about how fancy can we make, how complex can we make our lives so that we don't have to feel the sensations wow. that we feel, right? And mm-hmm. so this whole idea of, I mean, somatic dieting would be a better way to put it. It's like, how can you call it? You can use that, Stephanie. So. <laughs> You have my permission, you know, somatic dieting, somatic eating, because you see, I mean, I followed it. I studied nutrition in my twenties. There's, you know, there was the high carb, then the low carb, then actins, then Pritikin, then keto, then God only knows what. And it's like, it almost doesn't matter because some days you might go into keto because you don't have time to make dinner, you know, and some days you're going to eat nothing but high carb because you're in Italy. And I'm going to eat bread and pasta. And that's okay. And then some days, you know, it's hot. You just want a salad. And, and yet what happens is because we haven't been taught how to really just eat for hunger and eat what is available, we are making something so complex and causing more stress. You know, the fad of juicing and green juice and all that fascinated me. Because I celery thought, juice, you know, and I like a good green juice. That's not the problem. But I am not going to stress myself out to get that to be healthy, you know. But and, you and,
0: know that that's just a footnote for you to know that that's the evolution of the weight loss industry. Yes, definitely. right. Because it's like if you look at the millennial, it's not cool to diet. No, <laughs> right. It's cool to eat clean. Yeah. So now the if you look at Weight Watcher, it more from Weight Watcher to Wellness that works. Yeah. So now yeah. we're hyper focus on quote health. Yeah. With the underlying reason that like if you are healthy, you'll release the unhealthy weight, and that's mm-hmm. called wellness diet. Mm-hmm. Footnotes. Really. And there's
1: yeah, and there's it's interesting because when I look at some of the people who did shed a lot of weight when they started to eat clean, and yes. I'm like, well, is it because of the diet, or is it just because you started to make better food choices? And when you do that, you're not eating high levels of preservatives mm-hmm. and really bad fats and foods that are creating an insulin response that isn't healthy. Like, is it really that, or is it just this? You know, and that's the,
0: where I kind of go. Hmm. <laughs> Can we talk about weight yeah. stigma? Because that's another uh, thing. This is all, again, related to diet culture and body image and how, as a society, we idolize thinness, right? Mm -hmm. This thin body and everybody should look the same. And I know for me, when I look back at my past, my first diet at 12 was because of weight stigma. I was was a very tall child with very broad shoulder. And I had a belly in fifth grade and the doctor thought will put her on the diet. Sure. Right. But not only did it disturb the way that I engaged with food, but it traumatized me because it told me that my body wasn't good. Yeah. And I think that has more, even more impact on my nervous system and people who have been through the same experience.
1: Where did that come from? You know, yeah. how, how did the message get, there's a there's a term called coupling dynamics in the work that we do. I don't know if you heard that mm-hmm. when we were in our course. But if someone is is given a message when they're young, you've got to go on a diet because you've got this this belly, right? Just as you explained. That instantly sets this motion of something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. This is wrong with me. And now I go into frozen fear of being who I am because I've just been told that this isn't right. Yes. Right. Versus someone who had maybe that excess and for whatever reason, their, their family system didn't judge them. The doctor didn't say you have to go on a diet. And if they take care of their health, that technically we think will start to shift and go away. We'll normalize normalized. I'm also like thinking of like the opposite. Like I grew up in a school with, you know, all sorts of people, but lots of uh, jocks, lots of athletes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just had my 20 year reunion five years ago, I think. And it was really interesting, Stephanie, to see the girls and the guys that I idolized who were fit and thin. They are not fit and thin anymore. And what does that mean? And I, I kind of think about this because I was in an exercise. I learned exercise science really young in my in my twenties. Is their reason for being thin and fit was because they were being forced to do sport, usually because the parents wanted it, mm-hmm. and that's what you did, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was no internal drive to go to the track, to go to gymnastics to do all those things. And then when you get out of that school system, the behavior stops because it's not internal, right? So I'm I'm kind of giving that example to kind of pad and, and explain, like, it's so complex. If I think of myself, I did not do team sports. I was solo. I like to hike and figure skate and ski and go for walks with my dog and that was because I was taught that through my parents cuz they did that. However, the one day that my dad tried to get me to play a racket sport cuz he's totally into squash, I like the ball came at me and I'm like, "You want me to run?" <laughs> like, cuz I could run. It just I didn't have the drive to run and hit the tennis ball. But what he did, he didn't force it. There wasn't a, come on, you've got to come and play tennis because I'm at the racquetball club every week. He's like, okay, she doesn't like it. Yeah. And Back, it's also
0: the impact of shame, right? If your dad would have shamed you for not liking it.
1: Exactly. Then I would have done it because that's how kids have to survive. Yes. So then it's like, okay, well, I better because he's, he wants me here and I'm going to upset him and he didn't do that. But that happens more the other way. And so what occurs is that, well, then I, then I overcouple. So I'm going to go back to that overcoupling. I then overcouple activity with approval, shame. I hate it. I hate myself, but I better keep doing this. God damn it. And that's where we also see overexercising, right? So there's these two spectrums. So if I was that kid that was a little bit overweight and I was like, well, I better do this, even though I'm being active, that weight necessarily won't come off. It'll stick to me because it's a protection mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's like it imprinted then it's like, well, we're going to keep this. Right. And that's tricky because then you get into this very complex situation where it's like, whose fault? I say this with air quotes. If someone's just listening to this, whose fault is that? I like to say it's everyone's fault and it's no one's fault because that father doesn't know. that's going to impact that child has no clue that they should say screw you dad i'm not going to do that and some kids will that's what's interesting some will have enough life force energy to say no i'm not doing this piss off right but very rarely does that happen so if we go back to the idea of or the question about stigma and body weight that is not my expertise yeah right but i also know that What has to occur is conversations of communication so that people understand it's not because this person, I think a lot of it happens with this thought of, oh, they just must be lazy. They just must be not eating well. And I can tell you right now that doesn't necessarily, that's not true, Hmm. you know, and it comes back to, I'm trying to think, I had an example from a few days ago and it might come back into my brain but it's this element of, can we have, I know what it was in a segue. So I, I was asked to be on another online, like an online summit for women's health issues, like reproductive problems and aging and, um, like, and like stuff around reproductive health with women. And I'm like, I would love to, but can this be shared with the men and The answer was kind of like, no, we want the women to feel safe and we want them to feel that they can talk about these issues and not have the man, the men like, and and I kind of said, I understand, I'm going to challenge you on something. And it was the reason why women are afraid of a lot of this I have seen is because those conversations didn't happen early on. Mm. You know you put the girls in one room when you learn sex ed and you put the boys in another room, you don't talk about menstruation. You don't talk about erections. You don't talk about, it's like this scary taboo thing. And then when women age, they don't want to talk about the things that shift in their bodies. You know, women don't want to show their sagging breasts after they give birth and all these things. It's like, well, that's what happens. Like to go back to the whole modeling thing. It's like, this is what the human body looks like. And you're right. We've been so skewed by what we see in media, which is accurate for some, like some people, that is an accurate body for a lot of people, especially if you go into cultures where they're living on the land and they're active and they have very little food. There is a certain body type, especially in Africa that is very svelte and very cut. But the thing is, is we're not all like that because of our genetics. And so when I think about that conversation I had with that reproductive health online summit, it made me sit back and go, this person is smart. I respect her work. What's the block here? Like, why can we not bring the men in on this to talk about hormones changing and all these things? And so to me, I just thought about it in terms of weight Mm -hmm. and body image, because it's kind of this, like, we're talking about it, but it's like. Are we really talking about it?
0: I think we're not. And and you're right, weight stigma, dieting is mainly mainly affecting women, although it's starting to affect also even transgender folks, which is the next group of people that's affected by that. Uh But I think it's a system of defense or safety because what causes it in the first place is patriarchy or men. Does that make sense? Because...
1: It does. I I would say that women are just as horrible to women. Oh, we are. Yeah. Totally. And to ourselves, because we're that to ourselves. So I do think it comes with that. And I don't want to let the women off the hook. I think it also comes down to, you know, if I think about the men in my life have been way kinder to me around body image than a lot totally. of the females. So I think there is a big conversation there. But that, that ideal of what is the mistress, you know, the concubine, you know, it's the younger version, it's the thinner version, it's all of that. And a lot of that is very much genetic and very nature-based, right? And that's, that is actually, from when I've talked to my husband about this, and he's studied a bit of this, it is a biological drive for a man to seek out it just is. Yeah. And that's something that
0: is unfortunate. And women are, are made to please, right? We're meant to procreate and, mm-hmm. and we live in a different time. Like this is all that could lead yeah. us down the path of feminism, right? We live. Oh, yeah. in, Let's not go there. <laughs> right. But it's a whole different generation. Now we have yeah. food, we have freedom, we have safety. We don't need men anymore. And then we're trying to find our place. Yeah. Into this because for yeah. like ever we've been needing men and now we don't, and it's confusing.
1: I think you know what's interesting about that is it's not so much I mean, the human race would stop if we didn't have men.
0: In the same way as women. Right. right?
1: So we we're equally important. Yes. And it's been skewed because of religion, oh, culture. And I will admit, if I need to pick up something really heavy. My husband's going to do it because he actually has a bigger, he has more testosterone and he's bigger and he's stronger. I am a very strong woman, you know that, but I'm also no hero. I'm like, there are certain things that dudes do better at and there are certain things that women do better at. And then there are certain things that we do equally well, right? And, and I think there is something to say about we don't need them, but what we need is we need others. Mm, need so whether to- or not it's the man or a woman or our pet or our counselor or our church group, like we need to have others. And if I go back to the baby and the lap, rat- the rat licking and nurture, if we didn't have a solid secure base and a caregiver, it doesn't have to be a mother. It could be, it could have been a grandmother. I've talked to lots of people who are raised by their siblings, mm-hmm. right? Older siblings. And if it wasn't for that older sibling or that auntie or that nanny, that child who is now an adult would be in a completely different situation. But we need that security, just like the animal in the wild needs its mama, mama bear. That mama bear leaves, that little baby bear dies. And what's happened with humans is that we are surviving, even though we've kind of died, right? We're being taken care of. With parents who are giving us all of the things, the food, the shelter, the clothes, the amazing experiences, but we're not being nurtured. And so when we're not nurtured, we're looking desperately to be nurtured. And then that's where the food thing comes in. And then if we think about the ACE study, which I know you know about, you know, that study that showed us the connection between chronic early stress and health problems later in life started because it was a weight loss program. Yes. Right? I mean, that is to me so perfect in some ways for this industry, this industry that you are in, because it started there. We learned about early trauma affecting health due to people who were morbidly obese and they did have health problems right and they needed to lose that weight and they did and then those who had the early trauma gained it all back
0: yeah and and they didn't stick to the diet which brings the whole statistic of 95 percent of diet fail because people quote can't stick to it because the weight is not the problem and the food is not the problem yeah yeah it's what's underneath and i think i want and i want to kind of segue into what we're both seeing in our industry. So you're seeing in your industry, the word trauma and awareness to trauma and, yeah. and the same things happening in my industry, like the anti-diet movement, the awareness of the whole diet culture, weight and health shifting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because I think we're, we're getting to the point of like, we have no choice, but to see that it's a much deeper problem.
1: Yes. It really has nothing to do with the food. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's so simple and yet it's not simple.
0: And that's why it's so if I look at your industry, and that's what we were talking prior to pressing record, we're seeing like this huge lift of mm-hmm. the trauma industry in the same way that I'm seeing the lift in the intuitive eating world and body acceptance. Yeah. But there's caution to be made also. Do you want to talk about that from your lens? Say
1: that again. Let me. There's
0: caution so we're having people who are wanting to learn more about the impact of trauma on their current situation. Yeah. It's becoming popular marketing yeah. gets into yeah. this, quick fixes gets into this. So if someone is looking at looking at their trauma and healing that part of the nervous system, yeah. What would you say to those people to be careful about? Definitely. Thanks for repeating that. So here's, what's
1: interesting is working at that level. So that's somatic trauma level, not the, you have a broken arm, you need to go to the emergency, that level of working with the somatic embedded imprints, the, the wiring that didn't get met, that didn't happen. You know, we talk a lot about, you have to rewire the nervous system. And I even use, and I say that, but I'm being more deliberate about explaining what that means because if we didn't get the wiring of self regulation early on, which is what leads to all of the behaviors that aren't helpful and healthy, we actually have nothing to rewire. What we have to do is we have to wire back up the dangling wires that never got put together. And so what we need to be careful about when we're looking for someone to work with and to do the work ourselves is we cannot be okay with simple, dumbed down information. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand the complexity. And the reason why is because if someone gives you, I don't know, a piece of paper, someone gives you like a list and says, here's 10 steps that you follow, just follow these, you'll start to follow them. But then let's just say that not only did you have a mama that wasn't fully there, you had to have an emergency surgery when you were two and you had that trauma on top of it. That means that when you get to step five, I'm, I'm making this up, by the way, just hypothetically, you get to step five and all of a sudden you do a mind body exercise and you find yourself getting dizzy Someone might be like, oh, you're just getting dizzy because you don't want to do this work. Push through it. That dizziness, if you had an anesthesia when you were that young, could be that surgical trauma coming up. If you don't know that, you are then going to dive that traumatic response deeper. So that's just one example, right? So you want to make sure that it isn't this cookie-cutter linear follow this, 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 and this. Now, of course, I have a program where we do go through, but it's kind of the way that it's gone through. It is so, so foundational and so simple that there's room to let the system move. I'm never saying you have to do this lying down with your eyes closed. And you know that, you know, or I'm not saying take five deep breaths and then wait and see what happens. It's like, no, I'm not going to, ask someone to do that because we don't know what might be waiting under the rug, Mm -hmm. so to speak, to come up. So we want to make sure that the education that you get is really solid to begin with. And education is really important. I've had arguments with people like this at conferences where they're like, you don't need to tell your clients and your students the complexity of the nervous system because all they care about is results i'm like i call bullshit on that because if you start to do an exercise and they don't understand what the shutdown response feels like or looks like or what over arousal looks like or what a discharge of energy feels like or looks like or that screaming at your child could be a reason of anger coming out has nothing to do with their behavior, but your own reaction to your unmet need, like all these things. If you don't understand that underlying education in a deep way, you're not going to know that when you have that very strange feeling coming through your hand that makes it want to do this weird movement, you might be like, oh, that's wrong. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that.
0: Right. So because it's not on the list of things. It's not on the
1: list of things. So and I'm, I'm bringing humor to this and yet it's very serious because there's some traumas too, that don't require a shaking response to heal them.
0: Yeah. And
1: we're, we're now having a lot of people that are like, you have to shake, just shake to get, it's like, that doesn't work. The shaking has to come out organically, like growing an apple out of the tree you know from a seed like you can't produce well maybe you can now but you can't produce a good healthy apple just by making it in a lab and saying you know it has to come organically through the root system through that and so these trauma releases that everyone's kind of it's like the holy grail and you know it I still have students and it's not their fault it's just we've been programmed when am I going to have a release when am I it's like well you might not Those tears that you had when you were in the shower the other night, that might have been the release or that, that leg that was, you know, wanting to shake. And then you were like, I got to walk. That could have been a release, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'll bring that back and say, we have to get really well educated, Mm -hmm. which hasn't been the norm. If we think about the medical world, very rarely does a physician educate their clients on anything you know, and then you get something and you take it and you don't realize. It's always quick fix. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I had to get some antibiotics last year because I had a chest infection that didn't go away. I'm like, I'm going to take those because I'm still not getting better. So there are certain times for a quick fix, but this stuff, this nervous system healing stuff, no quick fix. It's like learning a second language as an adult. And so we got to start with foundations, you know, whether you work with me or one of my colleagues, always ask for credentials. I cannot state that enough. There are many coaches in the world who have gone to start their training and then they haven't finished. Hmm. It's kind of like reading a blog post on the internet. You have to know how to read a blog post to actually know if it's valid or not same with research, science, science research, just because it's a scientific paper does not mean that it's accurate. Right. And so you've got to get really good at asking kind of like your interview. Well, you are, you're interviewing someone to basically help you recreate and reprogram and wire up something that is so written in our DNA in terms of how we are raised. But it was, it was like I like to use the word bleached. It's like it was bleached out of reality. So we're really trying to recreate something that is exquisitely complex. So credentials are important. Education is important. The interesting thing, Stephanie, is there's no true designation for the work that I do. Mm. Right? It's not like a medical doctor or a lawyer even, you know, that goes to... four plus years of school, the work that a lot of us, the people that in my field that are at my level, we have picked and chosen the trainings over nearly 15 years because there is no school where you yes. just go and learn this
0: yet. Right At this point, in at both of our field, there's nothing. You got to cherry pick pieces. Yeah,
1: exactly. So someone that just has one credential I'm even starting to say that if someone only has, say, somatic experiencing and they don't have anything else, I would not work with that person. And I know a lot of people will probably disagree with me, but I haven't seen the level of expertise with just base level training. does not mean that that person cannot learn more, but it's really important to have all these different elements.
0: And it's with anything, right? We live in the world of marketing. We live in the world of... (laughs) Capitalism. So, as these topics become more and more popular, that is intuitive eating or somatic healing and trauma, you have to be careful because you will have great marketing behind something that may not be what serves you the best. Exactly. And it's
1: something I'm thinking about a lot because I always go back to medicine. Mm -hmm. Medicine is not, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is entrepreneurial but general surgery is not right. It's not like those doctors are trained the same here as if they're trained in Africa or Europe. Like there are procedures, there are protocols that are followed and we don't have that in this world of somatic trauma healing. And so not only is there no procedural protocol, there's no testing yet (laughs) yet. Yes. (laughs) And, And Most of them, most of the trainings are entrepreneurial and rightfully so. People have to make a living and we haven't subsidized it. We haven't brought it to a situation where young people can go and learn how to do this work young so that they become trained really well. They can't get a student loan. right? And so there's like this interesting thing right now where I'm really starting to look at why we're having a lot of people going rogue, so to speak, lots of charlatans who are purporting to teach trauma healing, but actually haven't done their homework and training. They haven't created their own training curriculum. Mm -hmm. They've done like a weekend course, and now they think they can teach people how to release trauma, and it just can't happen that way.
0: So let's talk about what you offer to the world, the the program that I've partaken to and and done, which has been... Like has been personally like changing, but also professionally has morphed the way that I do my work. Which is so great.
1: Yeah. So this course is called Smart Body, Smart Mind. I was in private practice for quite a while, and I naturally was starting to give my my I call them students, not really clients. Me too. Homework, okay. right? Like I would be making a slideshow, where I'd like draw pictures for way too much time in a session that they were paying probably way too much money for me to draw pictures. And so I started to create like PowerPoint presentations so that they could just watch them at home. I started to record audio lessons that they could do homework because one hour a week is not enough. Even if you came in twice a week for an hour, it's still not enough, which is horrible to think when you think how much you have to pay for a private session with someone who's an expert. So over the course of a few years, I just started to put this all together into an online base, database. And the course originally was five weeks, and then it was eight weeks, and now it's 12 weeks. I think 12 is going to be the magic number. (laughs) It's called smart body, smart mind, because we need that smart body to have the smart mind. It isn't the other way around, which is shifting. Finally, we're starting to realize that to really have a, a clear cognitive mind and creative mind, our body has to be And when I say body, I mean nervous system. I mean movement. So the the course is interactive. It's group. We've run it eight times this spring. Well, it's late winter will be the ninth time we've run it. We all start at the same time. We go for, it's actually 13 weeks, 14 weeks, because there's an orientation week, 12 weeks, and then a final week of wrap-up. And it's a blend of high-level education, practical exercises. I call them neurosensory exercises. We do training calls, more education, where I teach live like this on Zoom. We do Q&A calls over the course where questions are being submitted. And my husband and I, who's also trained in this work, we answer them video format. And then that's it. I mean, there's lots there. It's like, that's it. There's a lot there. Most people who go through the program the first time do not complete it the first time. And that's normal Mm -hmm. because there's enough there that you could work with over three, four years. We have alumni that started with us in like the first or second round and they come back. They're so cool. They come back and they do it as if it's brand new each time. They are the people that have taken high level PTSD, chronic illness. They're doing jobs that they love because they've really worked at this base level And they've given themselves the permission to go slow. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to my husband about this the other day, because he grew up with horrible trauma, early upbringing that was unsafe, abusive, bad. He when I met him had complex PTSD, tons of problems. And not to say he's Fixed, You know, he's we're all I'm still working on my stuff, but he finally felt safe in our house for the first time ever in August. Not because I was abusing him, but because his imprint was that being at home is unsafe. This is that overcoupling. Mm-hmm. home is unsafe because that was unsafe. People are unsafe and I won't go into the details, but something clicked and he is a. he's literally it's like he now has got that upbringing that he didn't get. Now that took nine years. Now, some of people are like what nine years that actually isn't very long. If you think about the fact that he just changed not only his lineage, but the generations that gave him the abuse to begin with. And now his son, who's a young man is so much more collected and calm because of his dad's difference. He'll have babies. That, I mean, it's just so, you know, it really shows that we can change how evolution has gone so off in a very short period of time, but we have to have the right practices in place and this education. The one thing I didn't mention, the reason the education is important, our higher brain as humans, it wants to know why something is happening. So if we can't give it that information, it will spin into a survival response. The dog, or the animal in the wild doesn't ask the question, why am I all of a sudden running at 100 kilometers an hour away from a cheetah? It, it just knows. does. It. And then it stops, it shakes it out, and then it goes back to eating, right? But because of our higher brain, we're so clever, hence we have this technology. So we have to feed that brain with the right information. So the course is comprehensive, it's interactive when a person joins, they get the material for life. Like I said, alumni come back, they redo it over and over again. At this point in time, I don't know of any other program like it in the world. I've had my own colleagues who have studied the same level I have, have gone through the program and they've benefited. A lot of them now work for me and help answering questions in there. You've met many of my colleagues when you've come to a workshop. So it really is like it's I'm very proud of it. And it was sort of just what had to happen because it, it felt bad for me to charge to up to $250 a session to teach someone stuff that I could just give them in an audio format or on a slideshow presentation. And I do miss doing one-on-one, but I enjoy seeing people really shift at a deep level and taking it into their own hands
0: it's right. empowerment, right? When you go through yes. a program like you, you are empowering your higher brain. You are also embedding through experiencing because yes. part of your program is also practices. Yeah, you are embedding it in your tissue and your nervous system, and yeah. that's how the wiring happens. And that's also like when we want to say what type of programs are better than others. Their program yeah. like yours, like mine, where it's lifetime access. Mm-hmm. It's not expected to be done like in 48 yeah. hours, you're done. It's like we have to take the time. You come back when you're ready and you ask the question yeah. and you continue to get supported as you morph through this work. Yeah. So, and the one thing I'll say, yeah. the word you used, empowerment, that's
1: interesting because we were looking at survey results from what people say. That was the most highlighted word empowerment. I was empowered. I felt empowered. That came out over and over again. The other cool thing, what you just said, too, sparked my memory. There will be people who go through this course who will feel and elicit their old shame responses because they aren't completing the work. Oh, yeah. And here's what's interesting. That is actually very important information because that is helping you heal those old shame responses. right? Our school system taught us you have to get it right. You've got to pass the test. And so the people that really find success in this work, they rewrite their history and they're like, screw it, I'm only going to do the first lab and I'm going to be happy with that. And to me, I would rather someone only do the first two weeks over 12 than push and force through all 12 and not have any shifts take place. Right. So it's also an opportunity to reteach yourself. How do you learn? How do you take care of yourself? How do you leave perfection behind, yeah. right? And that wraps back in with the eating piece and the shame piece. It's like the moment we can stop trying to perfect, the real perfection mm-hmm. comes in. Because the real
0: perfection is imperfect.
1: And it's always there. Yes. Right? It's like it's always there. The body actually wants to heal. It wants to because it's easier for it to heal, when we're trying to hold an emotion that actually takes up a lot of energy when we're holding in all of our trauma responses we're actually hurting the body and so if we can understand that you know what by working with this and figuring out how to leave and and shift these old patterns we're doing our bodies and the world a favor because we're not holding in stuff that's not necessary right the system heals kids heal so fast because they're not thinking about the cut on their elbow. You know, it just happened. I mean, they're younger too. Their immune systems are technically stronger. And a lot of that is because they're not thinking about it.
0: I'm going to wrap us up and close us off because Uh it's been a long time already, and you have to go. And I have another Call appointment, a call. Yeah. But I want to also send a message out to all the professional that listen to this podcast because 40% of my audience are mm-hmm. health and wellness professional. Awesome. This is something that you need to do as a professional. Yes. I do not heal trauma, like that is not my thing, mm-hmm. but I have a mm-hmm. trauma-informed program and I know yes. when to refer out and i think that's what we all need to do as professional we need to bring this as a piece of information uh-huh absolutely because we, we hurt more people if we don't yeah
1: we will and i know that's a harsh thing to say but i think you know even teachers teachers especially teachers anybody that touches someone that works with them that gives any advice if you can have the lens of seeing through this way, the world starts to look a little different and your ability to know what a person needs becomes more intuitive. And the reason why is the course isn't designed to teach you how to work with trauma. It's designed to teach you how to work with yourself. And just like a really solid, secure mom, when she is in her body and secure, she can offer that to her, her baby. And that is sort of what's occurring when I see the people come through like yourself, Stephanie, who aren't interested in doing trauma work with people. But by having this information in a strange way, you kind of are.
0: Yes, I am. I can see Indir-
1: that. <laughs> yes, indirectly. And that's what we want. We don't need to have every single person know how to deal with deep, deep stuff. Just like a mother isn't trained how to work with the trauma when her kid falls on the ground, but an intuitive mom and will know what to do. And so we're trying to get that back with this essentially. So thank you.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome. And you can go to the show note to the link or very simply, stephaniedose.com slash trauma. And you offer a, mini course to get an introduction to this program mm-hmm. and then when is the program launching the date? We open up registration
1: on the seventeenth of February. Perfect. Twenty twenty. February seventeenth. And then we have I think it's two weeks. We close the doors on the first of March and then we begin with orientation week on March second.
0: And it's still just once a year? I don't yes. know your model. Only is. once, a year.
1: Only once Only a year. Once a year. Yeah so this is the time I feel really strong energy right now in the universe. I'm tapped into that thing that we call energy. And I'm like, people, it's like, it's time. If we can have a very strong group of people in this program, something's going to shift. I just, I can feel it. Like there's something waiting to tip. And
0: I'm really excited about that happening. So, yeah. Yes. So go get the three part free video series and perhaps I'll see some of you in the... In the Facebook group and yes. the support mechanism. Thank you very much Definitely. for your time, Irene.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. You're welcome.
0: So there you have it, ladies. What did you learn? I don't have any additional exercise for you on today's podcast because this is a very heavy topic. However, I would highly recommend that all of you, no matter what your background is, to go and get at least the free training from Irene. Irene. You can go and get that at stephaniedozier.com slash trauma or the link in the show note and sit your butt down on the couch and watch the video. It's really going to rock your world. If you enjoyed the show, I would really appreciate if you could leave us a review, either on iTunes or your Android platform, whatever platform you're listening with, please leave us a review. It really helps show the podcast rank the podcast higher and allow us to be shown liberally to more people got to remember the work we do here is grassroots and we need you to help us bring this awareness at a higher level on the next podcast we're going to talk about another topic related to health and it's the concept of healthism curious you're going to have to come back on the next show until then, I love you, sister, and I look forward to hang out with you again on the next episode.